0: Hello, and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm a reporter and an editor here at EdSurge.
1: Y'all ready? Bang! 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 Bang!
0: Bang! You are hearing the sounds of an active shooter drill held earlier this month at the University of Houston downtown. A campus police officer was leading a group of students and staff through a simulation— and they were scrambling around the classroom, stacking chairs to barricade a door, and one was pretending to call 911.
2: All right, so we did good. We did good. This
0: two-hour situational awareness training had several components. Students learned how to tie a tourniquet to stop the bleeding from a gunshot wound. They were shown the best way to disarm someone holding a pistol. And they were taught when they were on campus that they should always be aware of the nearest exit. One of our reporters here at EdSurge, Nadia temezor is also a graduate student at this university. And she took part in the training, which is now also available as a video on the university's YouTube channel. And Nadia says the training was well-received.
3: I feel like overall the vibe was like, this is a great training This is very essential information. I think the feedback was really positive um, that this treating was a good idea. And that sort of messed with my head because it made me feel like, am I the only one who feels like I'm
0: having an out-of-body experience right now? To Nadia, the experience of the simulation was intense and pretty traumatizing.
3: I felt just like my face was really hot, like, I could feel like there was tears welling up in my eyes, like, I just did not like that situation. And that's part of why I felt so crazy. I just couldn't believe this is part of a safety training at my university. Like, how did we get here, where I'm in a room full of people who think this is a really great and essential training? for all students to have because you should never assume that it's not going to happen to you. Um, And it reminded me of, like, when you have PTSD from an event and so you're always on edge and you think every loud sound is something happening and you're always kind of skittish. Like, I feel like that is the mentality um,
0: that they were going for and that they thought would protect you. On today's episode, we're looking at the psychological impacts of the active shooter trainings that are in place around the country. These drills and training sessions have become commonplace in today's schools and colleges. In fact, a recent study by the National Center for Education Statistics found that 98% of public schools in the U.S. were teaching lockdown procedures. Schools started adding these trainings soon after the 1999 shootings by two students at Columbine High School in Colorado. The two high school students killed 12 classmates and a teacher. And since then, shootings at schools have become more common. Last academic year, there were 93 school shootings in the U.S., where at least one person died. These shootings now seem to come as an all-too-routine news event, such as last year's mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, that claimed the lives of 19 students and two teachers. And just this month, a shooting at Michigan State University resulted in the death of three students. But as horrific as these shootings are, they're still rare occurrences. Most schools will never have a mass shooting. But most every kid these days goes through some kind of lockdown training. And my colleague Nadia is not the only one asking whether these graphic drills... Are the best way to address the problem. Because if going through a mass shooting drill is traumatic for a grad student, it can be even more challenging for a little kid. In fact, just last week, one parent near San Antonio, Donna Preventure, shared a story on Twitter about a recent conversation she had with her eight year old son.
1: I was literally folding laundry, um, and he had just gotten back from school, and he, I, I don't even remember what precipitated it, um, except that I think maybe he overheard, you know, my partner and I talking about something related to Uvalde. Um, and, uh, and he said, mom, do you remember when the shooter came to my school? Like he came to Uvalde. And I, you know, it was one of those moments where you were like, I'm sorry, what, where, you know, there's sort of a fade to black moment. Um, and I sat down my laundry and I said, what, what are you talking about? um, uh, for reference, he's eight and he's in second grade. Um, and he said, well, there was a day at school last fall, uh, where everybody told us that, you know, that we had to, to curl up in a ball on the classroom floor and that, you know, there was, there was someone in the building, um, and he, he was going to hurt us and we had to be very quiet, um, or, you know, else we were all in danger. And, and it took me a second. Because I was like, clearly there was not a school shooting down the street. You know, I live about 70 miles from Uvalde. Um, There had not been a school shooting at his school. I had no idea at first what he was talking about.
0: What her son was remembering was a drill at the school. But he ended up taking the simulation more literally than intended. And it had a lasting impact.
1: I, I will preface this with my son is neurodivergent. Um, He uh, is diagnosed with ADHD. He's currently being evaluated for ASD, uh, autism spectrum disorder, um, although he has not been diagnosed with that at this point. Um, And he has a clinical anxiety disorder. And and, um, last summer was when he was diagnosed with clinical anxiety. So prior to this occurring, but there was a a market, you know, upsurge in incidents right around that time in the fall um, you know, so despite his, you know, pre-existing concerns, like clearly something really triggered him and he was suddenly having, you know, uh, exponentially higher rates of night terrors, waking up in the middle of the night, bedwetting incidents. Um, I'm I'm haunted by all these conversations we had where he would tell me that he thought there was someone in his room, right? Someone was looking in the window at him. Someone was going to get him. And I said, honey, you're on a second floor. You know, his parents were so preconditioned to say there are no monsters. They're not real, you know, but, but in this particular case, he, what he was afraid of and what I didn't know was the very real monsters that walk among us. Um, and, and looking back now and not having known that this was part of what he was experiencing the last five months, um, he's been in, you know, he's been in therapy, thank, thankfully, for many months already, Um but not having had this very key component to to an incident that might have dramatically exacerbated, you know, his challenges was was really um, it was really difficult to contend with. You know, it was it was difficult to wrap my mind around um, when this came up. Some recent research
0: shows that Donna's son is not alone. A study published in the journal Nature in 2021 analyzed millions of social media posts by students before and after active shooter drills and found that anxiety, stress, and depression increased by 39 to 42% following the drills. The study did find some benefits of the drills as well, with a significant boost in feelings of solidarity with classmates and of civic engagement. When Donna shared her story on Twitter, it went viral, with nearly 2 million views.
1: I, I think I was really taken by surprise primarily by the number of people who commented with similar experiences i mean i had um you know i had supportive messages from like sandy hook survivors i mean all sorts of people were reaching out but something that was a really common thread was older students so older than my son but younger than me Um, who said they had this exact same experience in middle school, in high school, where for 20 minutes they thought they were dying and they were texting their goodbyes to their parents and then it turned out to be just a drill. Like, I was hoping, I was really hoping that this was like an isolated incident and, and just a miscommunication that happened because, you know, sometimes my son, who is darling, can be, you know, a little bit oblivious or a poor communicator. You know, I was like, maybe there was just a terrible communication breakdown somewhere in this particular instance. But I just... I saw comment after comment saying, no, I've been through that. I've lived through that. And I was safe and it was a drill, but I didn't know that. And it was devastating. Um, and and hearing, you know, older kids kind of looking back on it, having happened 10, 15 years ago, was it, it was really a lot. It was really intense to, to sort of sit with. She has since called the school and asked them to
0: let her know if they ever do another drill so she can keep her son home that day. And that is something more parents are asking for as well. In Maryland, for instance, a group of lawmakers recently proposed a bill that would require school systems to tell teachers and parents ahead of time for any active shooter drill. It was proposed by a legislator who's a former teacher, who points out that when schools have things like fire drills, they don't pretend there's really a fire. But with active shooter drills, he says students are often asked to pretend a shooter is in the building. Opponents of this bill, though, say it is important for all students today to go through such simulations so they'll know how to best respond if a shooter does come to a school. To try to zoom out and get a broader view of this issue, I reached out to a professor who has done a meta-analysis of strategies aimed at preventing school shootings. He's William Janus, and he's a professor of education At California State University, Long Beach. He's also author of the book, Reducing School Shootings. I first asked him how he got interested in the issue, and I was surprised by the answer.
2: Well, of course, it's an important issue, but I think what really caused me to write the book, and don't ask me to explain why, but over the years, I have had approximately 18 of my students from all throughout the country who were victimized by school shootings, meaning they were right there, and uh, they were almost injured, injured, should have been dead, this sort of a thing. And all throughout the country, Columbine, of course, is one of the most infamous school shootings, and she shared in class probably the most Uh, of her experiences, and uh, also West Paducah, Kentucky, Uh, many of them, uh, Sandy Hook, the list goes on. Now, naturally, as one would expect, since I'm out here in California, uh, I get a disproportionate number who have been in the California uh, shootings. Uh, And also, even though uh, it was not a school shooting, I also had a few students who were up at the event in Las Vegas uh, when when that shooting occurred. So I thought, wow. And of course, it's influencing a lot of people i also had uh know some people again non school shooting but at the san bernardino uh shooting uh, in fact this particular person would have died had he not had one of his cell phones in uh his pants pocket the other in his shirt pocket now normally and this is the one this is kind of exciting i mean if he can be happy in the midst of tragedy um, he, that particular day, was uh, had his wife's cell phone right over his heart, and it was the only day ever that he was carrying her cell phone, but fortunately, it happened to be right here over his heart, and he got shot five times, I believe, and two of them hit the cell phones and bounced off, so he would have gotten hit right in the heart or close to the heart, to whatever degree that pocket is, you know, right over the aorta, or, you know, uh, heart, or what have you, and um, so, yeah, I had all these people uh, who had been in shootings, uh, 16 to 18 in school shootings, and then these other people as well, and I thought, wow, I've got to address this topic, and particularly... Uh, influential on me was the student who got up in my class. We got to the topic of school shootings, which we deal with every semester in my classes, and she said, I should have died at Columbine. I was one of the primary targets. I was in the room where basically almost everyone died, and I managed to crawl out from under a table and go out the door when the shooters weren't looking, and that's the only reason I'm a Live today, and would you give me 10 minutes to share before the class my experiences? And of course, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So uh, I said, go for it. And uh, it was pretty amazing what she shared. It really altered my view about school shootings. And I think that was the genesis of it all, especially that particular testimony. Yeah. Wow.
0: No, that's really, it's, uh, it's you know, it's so sad to hear that this was. Uh, so many students impacted that you have come across as students of yours. Um, What can you say just really quickly about that student's testimony? What surprised you? What was it that, that was obviously, you know, kind of that moved you in a certain way or made you realize there's some information gap you could help fill?
2: Well, first of all was the way she started her testimony. She shared, if you remember just one thing of what I share today, please remember this. The school shooters were not the bullied, they were the bullies. And she said the media has it wrong, and that tends to be true across almost all the school shootings. That was one thing. And then she shared how she came to be one of the targets, and even how it was handled by uh, the Littleton, Colorado community. What happened is uh, they were in a classroom, a high school classroom, and the teacher was teaching social studies. And it was a quiz, a a verbal quiz, if you will, on the capitals of the state, so the state capitals. And uh, various students were being asked what's the capital of this state? What's the capital of that state? And often, <laughs> what we don't realize here I am in California, and then I'll use the Eastern time zone example. Um, the capital of California is, of course, Sacramento, but once you get east of the Mississippi, a lot of students don't know that. They think it's Los Angeles or San sure. Francisco. And same thing with New York. Once you get west of the Mississippi, Uh, A lot of people think, well, the capital of New York is New York City, okay? And, of course, it's Albany. So it was that type of thing. And I believe he, the school shooter, future school shooter, was being asked by the teacher, what is the capital of New York? And he got it wrong. And uh, then my future student raised her hand, and she got it right, okay? She said, Albany. And the future school shooter came up to her and said, after class, and said, you embarrass me in front of the entire class. I just want you to know this is going to cost you your life. I'm not going to tell you when. I'm not going to tell you where. But guaranteed at some point in the next two years, I'm going to kill you. And he repeated that threat, this is going by her testimony, between 200 to 250 times over the next year and a half. And of course, that culminated with Columbine. And she went to tell the principal, and again, according to her testimony, the principal replied, Ah, don't worry about it. Boys will be boys. And that was just kind of the attitude of Littleton, Colorado. They just weren't used to crime they didn't take these things seriously and there's even this was not part of her testimony but it is part of the historical timeline uh that uh one of the shooters tried to run over a girlfriend he had recently broken up with along with her new boyfriend and by the way statistics indicate that the most common uh the most common similarity or factor that the school shooters have in common is a recent breakup with a significant other, something like thirty seven percent of course, that percent changes a little bit here and there as the shootings are added to, but more or less about thirty seven percent and that was the case with one of the shooters he had break- broken up with his girlfriend and He tried to run his girlfriend over and her new boyfriend. He slammed on the accelerator, floored it. Fortunately, both the girlfriend and her new boyfriend saw it coming and ran out of the way just in time. And he smashed into a fence. And when the police arrived, it was basically, we're giving you a warning to the shooter, future shooter. We're giving you a warning. Don't do that again. And that was the end of the matter. And that was the way such things were handled, kind of along the lines of boys will be boys. And then, as I mentioned, she barely escaped. She was in that room where either everyone or almost everyone who died in that shooting, there they were, the shooters gathered their primary targets, and fortunately, she was at the very edge of the room, the table closest to the door, and then of course, as I shared, when they weren't looking, she escaped. But I think those two things that they're the bullies, number one. And number two, she just said uh, they held these grudges. And in her case, that grudge was over the fact that she got the answer right and the future shooter got it wrong. And of course, she wasn't trying to embarrass him. She was just answering the question. So what did this professor find
0: when he did his meta-analysis of the many interventions out there to try to prevent school shootings?
2: one uh, outcome of the meta-analyses and other analyses that I do in my book is that I name about uh, eight factors or so, six primary ones especially, that could reduce school shootings. And what the analyses indicate is there isn't even one of them alone, and I emphasize the word alone, that will reduce school shootings at least significantly. However, if we have a comprehensive approach and do all of these things, then we can reduce school shootings. And it's quite possible, i although I don't deal with drills that much, it's quite possible that drills can be one of them, and we don't know how many lives they've saved. I mean, you would think, along with fire drills, etc., earthquake drills, that they do uh save some but then there's a second question and that is okay they probably have and will save some lives but at what cost because even more than say earthquake drills or fr- or fire drills they can be scary what are you mentioned
0: this you know cluster of of things that can be done to help reduce school shootings what is the what is the most impactful? You said there's no silver bullet. There's no one thing that's going to majorly, you know, that's just going to do it all by itself. But what are some things besides active shooter drills or other kinds of drills
2: that have been shown to work? Well, um, gun control to a certain extent, uh, character education, having more of an emphasis on uh, loving each other forgiving one another. Um, I know that when I was in school, when character education was much more present than today, if two students had a fight, the teacher would intervene and it might take 20 or 30 minutes to get the students to work through their dispute, forgive one another, shake hands, whatever. That That's rarely done today. Um I think also we do need to visit this issue of uh, uh, kids having mental struggles, if you will. Mental illness uh, is real. And I think sometimes we are so afraid of being judgmental, we say nothing. And there are signs out there. I mean, for example, uh, a lot of times these shooters had a history, for example, of Uh, killing animals, okay? They might throw uh, uh, their rabbit or cat in uh, a dryer, and they enjoy hearing the the screaming as the, the animal dies, and then they take out the corpse. And I'm sorry, that's not normal. And we're so afraid of the word normal and abnormal these days. And yes, we don't want to be a judgmental society, but on the other hand, we also want to save lives, And uh, in fact, one of the most extensive books on this issue was over the Virginia Tech shooting, that it seemed that the university was more concerned about uh, protecting the rights of someone who was dangerous versus the students whose lives were threatened. And so I think all these things regarding gun control, I also think we need what I would call intelligent gun control. And what I mean by that is in the larger population, gun control might work, probably does work, background checks and so forth. But guess what? We're dealing largely with students. Some of the shooters are adults, but most of them are 11 to 18 years of age, and uh I think that we need to realize most of them don't have a background or at least a recorded background. And we need to have a discussion as a society that, okay, are we going to record more of their background in these incidents? And it's a hard debate. I'm not saying how it should be resolved. Or do we need to come up with other strategies? Because guess what? Uh, These students obtain the guns. They're illegal to obtain in almost every state where they are, but they get them from parents, friends, what have you. They'll get them. And I do think, uh, getting back to the character education, that there is this four-letter word that so many academics, for example, are afraid of. Uh, This four-letter word is love. Okay, And we really need, I mean, if there's a a child who's going through it, in fact, uh, statistics have indicated that over 95% of the worst shootings, not just school shootings, but shootings generally, this was uh, out of an article by CNN that said, you know, out of uh, 20 some odd uh, of the worst shootings, guess what? And others did analyses over 95% were from the shooters were from, either broken families or dysfunctional families. We need to look at that, okay? We need to realize that there are some children who are from difficult family situations. And guess what? You know, most children, I mean, I'm from a broken family, okay? Most children from those families are just fine But if we know that there's been a recent trauma in the family of one type or another, we need to show love to that student and support to that student because that period shortly after the trauma may be critical in determining what road that student travels on in the future. And that's just part of love. We need to support one another and also uh, encourage and train our students to be loving to one another. As we talked,
0: I learned that this professor has experienced an active shooter drill firsthand at his own university.
2: And the first one that was done is uh, really scared a lot of people. And we actually didn't receive a warning. I mean, it was a police drill. okay? and we didn't receive any warning. Most of them we do, but we didn't receive warning. And all of a sudden I heard these screams and a lot of professors thought, the police, as they came and they kicked down the door and they aimed a gun at the professor, they thought, this is the shooter. I was hearing all these people scream, and I thought it was the shooter as well. And fortunately, I'm a very calm person. I believe in addressing people in the most calm ways, and then they won't be so upset. So anyway, it came to my door, and the guy kicked open my door and was not dressed like a police officer. Again, these are uh, Plain clothes people, and uh, I could see how people were screaming. But I just turned to the fellow and I said, uh, Can I help you? <laughs> I can laugh now, but I think, Whoa, I guess I was calm supernaturally or something like that. And then the fellow revealed that he was a police officer, but I thought he was the shooter. And so, uh, a lot of people complained about that one, and our university has since changed their policy. Uh, but all that to say, you can see how people might become scared. Uh, they might experience some, uh, psychological distress. And so we have to weigh you know, the gains and the costs. With some of the other uh, recommendations I have to reduce school shootings, there isn't so much of that. But I, I think we must not only attempt to do it effectively, but we have to take into consideration the gains and the costs. Um, do it the right way. And I'm hoping that over the years, to whatever extent, yeah, it's hard to argue totally against them in the same way that, okay, uh, fire drills, I guess, can be a little bit stressful. Um, depending, um, and earthquake drills can be a little bit stressful, but while school shooting drills, they can be very stressful, especially because they receive so much publicity, and we really have to be determined to do it in a student-sensitive way. For my colleague
0: Nadia, she says she is still not sold on the mentality that was being taught at the training she attended. It's a mindset that she says she'd rather not have to adopt so after the day after the training i went to a happy hour
3: um and we were i was outside the fine art museum it was a very cold breezy evening um i was talking to a friend and there was this really loud bang and so according to the training that i had the day before what i should do is immediately like maybe run behind a pillar or something and assume that whatever that noise was, was a shooter in order to save myself. Um, but I chose not to do that and nobody around me looked panicked, so I didn't, I didn't get up, I didn't look around, and probably, well, I'm guessing since it was so windy, we were sitting outside, it was probably, like a sign or a sandwich board at the museum saying, like, enter here or the tours are over here or the happy hour is over here. And I'm like, I can't live with that level of, I don't know, fear. Which I feel like was being sold through this training as
0: um, something that's going to keep you safe. She ended her essay about the drill for Edsurge this way. She wrote, "I get situational awareness, like checking the back seat of your car before getting inside or not walking alone in the dark to the overflow parking lot. But this is too much. This hypervigilance we've been prescribed as a defense, it's not a sustainable way to live. It feels suffocating. How are we supposed to learn with that mindset. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week, we bring you stories like this one. If you like the show, please follow the Ed Surge Podcast wherever you listen and subscribe to the Ed Surge Podcast newsletter to go deeper into the topics we cover. Just go to edsurge.com and click on the word newsletter at the top right. And a program note We will be doing a live taping of the EdSurge podcast next week in Austin as a session of the South by Southwest EDU conference. If you're going to be there, please check the program to find out where we'll be and come join us. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. And you can find me on Twitter at JRYoung or on the web at jeffyoung.net. Music this episode by Rowan Jane. And special thanks to Nadia zemez for highlighting this issue and sharing her story. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.